You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Modern Web Podcast. I'm so excited here today to talk to Alex Russell from Google. My name is Tracy. You can follow me on Twitter at Lady Leet. And uh, Alex, where can we find you? I'm on Twitter at slightly late, although, you know, that's uh, that's sort of a high volume, low bandwidth, uh, uh, high noise, low signal channel. Um, I also blog at infrequently.org. Nice. Awesome. And, you know, what's your official title? What do you actually do at Google? Uh, official title, I guess I'm a senior staff software engineer uh, working on the web platform. Uh, what do I do? Uh, I am the sort of Uber TL for Project Fugu. And uh, for the last five or six years, I have run our web standards uh, engagement. Awesome. So I know uh, Chrome Dev Summit just happened. And uh, you know Core Web Vitals is on top of everybody's mind these days. So love to hear from you, like, what's going on? Where do you imagine this work to be going? What even is it for those of, for those of us who don't know? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, I should note up front that Corbett Vitals is the product of a very talented team uh, who I cheer on from the sidelines. I, it's not my work. Uh, and um, to the extent that uh, I'm involved, it's, it's mostly to try to understand how it's going to impact things. Um, but I think it's really important work because Corbett Vitals is the distillation of uh, a bunch of metrics development that has happened over the past five or six years, uh, led by folks like Annie Sullivan and Tim Dresser, who have been um, leaning into the question of what could we say we know from the perspective of a browser about how a web page is actually behaving from the perspective of a user? It would, at first blush, seem like that is a straightforward question to answer. We are, after all, the browser. We are the ones putting the pixels on screen, handling the taps, doing the scrolling. Um, we should be able to have a pretty, pretty drilled-in view. And it is unfortunate that the fact that we have so much data about what's happening instantaneously um, can be a problem, right? Like many folks who are performance experts, uh, even they can feel overwhelmed by the amount of information that we will deliver into, for instance, the performance timeline APIs or into uh, various metrics that we have worked to define and evolve over the years. And so Core Vitals is important because it's a distillation of many of those existing um, or iteration in some cases of existing metrics and with the addition of a few new ones whose job it is to try to capture the perceived experience from the user side of uh, the equation rather than sort of a technical description of how the system is, is working, right? It's sort of like, you know, am I getting where I want to go fast enough rather than are the wheels spinning or is the engine turning over, if you want to think of it that way. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to see how that's changing the web. I know a lot of um, teams are like, oh, God, stop changing things. But I also appreciate that the web is advancing so fast. <laughs> yeah, Core Vitals is also important in that it, um, it defines a much smaller set of metrics to look at. And they are sampled, at least through Chrome, they are sampled both on the client side so that you can have scripts in your pages that will give you um, you know, real user metrics, run metrics uh, that you can log back out to your infrastructure, but also through the observation system called um, uh, 
what's the, uh, what's the public name for it again? Um, we, uh, uh, UKM, user key, uh, you're all key measures. But um, the, uh, the, the basic system is that Chrome will collect a bunch of information about pages and sites, and then it will provide it in an anonymized way. And when we get enough of it, and we can ensure that the privacy uh, guidelines are taken into account for how anonymous it is, uh, we publish that back out. Um, and Core Vitals builds on that same data flow. So that if you go to, for instance, um, PageSpeed Insights or to the Webmaster Tools, you'll see information um, not from one page load, but from real users who experience your site on their real devices, on their real networks. And getting that kind of insight has been extraordinarily difficult. Um, you know, up until recently, it's been the case that you have to go build up your own infrastructure to try to capture that information and then situate it amongst users. Um, and that leaves you without much of a comparison point. So Core Web Vitals is both important in that it is, um, it gives you a real world view through uh, things like PageSpeed Insights, uh, but also that it is something that you could instrument on your own to get early warning, um, given that that pipeline takes some time to run. So it, it is a, a small set of what we think are critical indicators of the user experience that um, we're sort of committing to over the long term as things that we're going to continue to pay attention to, and which are visible from both the RUM um, lab and uh, through the, um, the UKM pipeline. Yeah, I haven't messed around with, um, you know, I, I haven't opened up a lighthouse thing in like, I don't know, the past week or so. And I know that this was talked about a lot during Dev, Dev Summit. So Core Web Vitals, is that integrated into Lighthouse scores? Because I know it's a composition of three, although I think there's one that wasn't in Lighthouse 6 and now. Yeah, so um, Lighthouse is uh, has been great as a, as a way to help diagnose, um, starting with some of those more drilled in things, um, mm -hmm. but now to surface some of the things that we believe will primarily affect your Core Web Vitals scores. Uh, the Core Web Vitals metrics are um, time to interactive and total blocking time. So that is to say, uh, if I tap on a, on the screen, how often is it that work that's being done by the web page prevents that from turning into the next navigation or um, your JavaScript being called because maybe you were doing too much work on the main thread already, or maybe you're blocked by a layout. Um, uh, cumulative layout shift, which I think is one of the trickiest uh, metrics, which is to say, um, nobody likes it when uh, an image or an ad pops in and, and removes the thing you were looking at or you were just about to click on. Um, and so those layout shifts are problematic. And so um, after you get laid out the first time, does anything shift content around? Um, and if so, when? And then sort of when the page becomes less visible, um, logging back out, uh, how much in total that jumping around affected the user experience? Um, and then uh, time to, um, I think it's time to, uh, I, I, let, me, let me go. Um, uh, <laughs> we, we have so many metrics and we've looked at so many of these over the years, but I think um, uh, first content full pain is also an important one. Uh, now is a, is an advisory metric. Um, but is it all in the Lighthouse dashboard still? Like, or is it gonna be somewhere else? So, Light, so Lighthouse does give you um, 
Uh, yeah, so large sentinel paint first input delay, um, which is going to probably be uh, augmented with total blocking time and cumulative layout shift for the current uh, web vitals. Um, so Lighthouse will continue to give you a, a bench view. That is to say, um, if, if you set up a lab and you had a reproducible environment that you could test something in all the time, Lighthouse tries to emulate that on your local development machine. And, and so that means that it's giving you a view um, where it tries to uh, narrow the band of variance between machines and networks and stuff, but it is still situated on your computer, on your network, talking to your servers from where it sits right now. And so that is a very drilled in view. Um, sorry, the, the, the name that for the data that we published uh, out of UKM is called the Chrome User Experience Report. And so the Chrome User Experience Report is the flip side of that, where mm -hmm. Lighthouse gives you that information from one location and the Chrome User Experience Report is that anonymized view of all of those measurements that Chrome can see from the field. And so the important part about um, uh, PageSpeed uh, uh, page Insights and the Chrome User Experience Report UI onto it, um, in addition to Lighthouse, is that by looking at both of them, you can get, um, on the one hand, um, a good early warning through Lighthouse of how things will, will probably end up for the user. And then you can validate that that's how it's actually working out in the field uh, for your real users, because that's really what matters. Um, and that's what's going to matter to, uh, to other parties as well um, through the Chrome User Experience Report, through PageSpeed Insights, um, and through the Search Console, which will report a bunch of these metrics back to you as well. OK, so like for PageSpeed, so like if I were a you know, web perf person. Let's say you are, because you are. <laughs> Incidentally, it's not, it's, it's not how I choose to spend my day if, uh, if given my brothers. <laughs> but, you know, so, um, you know, like, what are you going to do first? Are, are you, you know, are you going to run the Chrome user experience report, run Lighthouse, and run PageSpeed Insights as, like, the first thing? Right. So um, I like to think of this as sort of investigating the case of a, of a page that was killed. Right, like uh, something went wrong, um, uh, someone died, and now we have to figure out what happened. Um, you know, what was the murder weapon? How was it deployed, and who did it? Um, and because web page, modern web pages are usually the culmination of a lot of different parties into uh, the composed experience at runtime, uh, that can be a very complex thing to untangle. So these tools can help. Um, my method starts with a couple of tools. Um, PageSpeed Insights is great on a couple of levels. Uh, first, it does integrate for live pages that are deployed to the internet. It, if you get enough traffic um, to ex show up in the Chrome User Experience Report, uh, that UKM data pipeline, uh, if, if there's enough traffic that we can understand how it's going in the field, um, that will tell us something about how people are really experiencing it. And that's very important to try to understand how well or poorly it's going. It could be the case that there's nothing to investigate, right? Like it actually was a heart attack, and their congenital heart disease is what killed them, right? That that can that can happen, um, but it can also be the case that it was like you know uh, subtle poisoning, and uh, it happened to be the fonts in the library, um, and and that that happens all the time, but it may be not something that people know to look for. So um, tools like uh, PageSpeed Insights will surface that information if it's available. And then I go to a tool called webpagetest.org uh, to start a drilled-in investigation of live pages. Um, Lighthouse is rolled into webpagetest.org. So if you go to webpagetest.org slash easy, and then select 
probably uh, the mobile 3G or 4G profile. Um, and then plop a URL in, it'll cogitate for a while. Uh, but what that does is it, it does high quality network link conditioning, which is to say it works really hard to emulate real world network conditions uh, about a, a median or slightly poor 3G network or a slightly poor 4G network. And it runs it on a real physical phone, um, which Lighthouse tries to do locally on your device, but it, you know, it's not really a phone. <laughs> um, the only thing that's really a phone is really a phone. <laughs> so um, because a lot of traffic is mobile, uh, trying to contextualize it uh, from the perspective of a real device uh, with a well-conditioned link um, gives me the highest fidelity understanding of what's going on. And if you check a couple of tick boxes there, uh, you can find that uh, webpagetest.org will also run Lighthouse for you from the perspective of that device on that network at that location. And that is a really useful way of capturing it because it, it's extraordinarily repeatable. So that means if you make choices that affect this, uh, that affect this report, um, you can redeploy the same test on web page test and see the progression over time. Um, Lighthouse can do that locally for you too. So if you're in the middle of your development cycle and you've got a development server up and you're working on localhost or you know, a staging um, system that, that isn't on the public internet, um, that can be a great stand-in for that. But really understanding, you know, like a live trace of how it's really going in the wild um, is where I would want to start if I had if I had my brothers about about a uh, an investigation that I'm starting. Um, web page test work is extraordinarily detailed. Cool. It's it's a uh, it's a bit of an eye chart, and uh, knowing where to look is is uh, it's not usually for beginners. So um, I would, for most people, most of the time. Um, start with a film strip view that you can capture there um, and start scrubbing through it. Um, I can I can show you examples of that if, if you'd like, um, I guess. But um, there's a uh, there's a there's a sensitivity that you want to build as an investigator to um, what happens on screen and what happens um, on the main thread. That is to say, the, um, the thing that does all the running of JavaScript and the eventual laying out of your document, processing your CSS, parsing your HTML. Um, and handling all the events that the user sends back to you, um, and the relationship between those, and then the things that affect it. And the things that affect it are often tasks that you have scheduled previously. Um, maybe you uh, said, I would like to include this JavaScript file. So it has to be downloaded, parsed, and then executed. Uh, or I'd like to include the CSS file. Um, and then in many cases, when something is potentially network bound, sort of being able to like scrub through the timeline and see, aha, this resource arrived now, and that's when this painted, and therefore those two things are aligned. So if I get that thing to move earlier, or if I can like find a way to make it smaller or reprioritize it in the network, then I can you know move the uh, moment when it paints to the left, because that's what usually what we're trying to do in these situations is to move paints and moments where script executes um, to the very front of the graph, so that the document is. Um, Quiescent. That is to say, that it is. Um, it's not doing a lot of work, um, and that you're waiting for, uh, and that that moment arrives as soon as possible. Yeah, I'm going to have to have you on um, speed at scale because we typically do screen share and things like that there. So just watching you do some of the stuff, and uh, you know, you're talking about the scrubbing through some of the film stuff. <laughs> I forgot what you called it, but like that that type of stuff, I think is super interesting, and I think. Uh, you know, it, it helps makes web performance more accessible, right? Like sometimes you just have to watch. I think that's why the, all the Twitch 
streaming is like so popular these days, you know? Just yeah. Bug. Hell. <laughs> yeah, I, I've often wondered if we should start to uh, to do something like that to kind of train up more people who could be performance investigators in the same way. Um, the set of things to look for is actually not that large. You can learn it, um, but knowing where to start and what to, to work on first requires building up some of that um, understanding of the sensitivity. Uh, the great news, I think, about what Core Web Vitals has added to this is that it tries to take an opinion about what's good and bad. Um, and it does it by saying, you know, uh, I think this is the right way. It says that um, some fraction of your users are having a good versus bad time when they visit your site. And so what uh, Core Vitals will report back to you, for instance, through PageSpeed Insights, is where things are going in terms of a distribution. So um, for instance, for first input delay, uh, maybe um, at the 75th percentile, which is the cutoff, for, for decent. Uh, at the 70th percentile, um, people are having a bad time, which is to say uh, one load in four or slightly over that are bad. Um, uh, or maybe it's better if you can shrink that down to say um, one load in 10 is taking a long time for the user to receive a response to their input. And if you think of it that way, that helps you sort of um, think about the the broad population of devices and networks that people are arriving from, because it's easy to rat hole on, um, well, I've got an iPhone and uh, it's fast on my device and doesn't everyone have 4G? Um, uh, what Core Vitals and the um, uh, Chrome User Experience Support do is they actually give you a view into how it's going in the real world um, and sometimes it's going better than we expect, right? And so therefore you don't have to spend much time looking into it. Um, but in some cases it's going worse than you should expect. Um, and what to do then is something where the metric itself can help lead you into this. So for instance, um, if it's cumulative layout shift, you kind of know that you're looking to get a trace um, either through Lighthouse or through something else that can teach you what might be shifting content from the layout system's perspective. If it's large contentful paint, you can generally believe that it's probably down to um, some ordering of network resources, or maybe maybe even the performance of your serving backend, although that's that's usually less likely, except in the worst cases. Um, or first input delay, um, that's probably, you just have too much JavaScript <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's just doing too much work. And so uh, once you sort of know which bucket is potentially problematic or most problematic, you can start to burn down the, the issues that within that bucket. Yeah. Um, so what do you feel like is missing out there to help developers and companies get better at web performance? Um, this is the other thing that I think is so important about Core Web Vitals is that the yeah. usual thing that is missing um, outside of, I, I want to say, some, uh, some sympathy amongst developers for non-developers in some cases is uh, Management resolve, <laughs> uh, put, put bluntly. That is to say, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time over the last, call it five years or so, uh, working with uh, a lot of Google's partners to try to help them improve the performance of their websites. Um, and not because it's my job. My job is to make new APIs for the web platform and to make sure that like the standards process is going well and, and serving um, everybody who's a stakeholder. But um, because when websites are bad experience, no matter how good their functionality, it's just sort of like, you know, it's like, 
Uh, I was thinking that like some of these e-commerce sites are kind of like getting tackled at the door by a greeter and having to break the tackle before you can go shopping rather than being greeted and like entered in, <laughs> uh, brushed in onward um, and offering a cart on your way. Um, you kind of want the second experience, not the first most of the time. And so um, to the extent that that is, has been a, a long tentpole for people delivering good web experiences writ large, um, it has turned, you know, turned into an important thing to solve. And so, um, where that all ends us up is uh, because managers have not had uh, great visibility in many cases into the effects of business choices that trickle down into technical artifacts. So for instance, um, sales team uh, at a publisher says, well, I have to integrate this third party in our tag manager because if I don't, then uh, we're going to lose N hundred thousand dollars of revenue this year. And that means that like five of our journalists will lose their job. Well, that's really compelling, right? <laughs> like, you, you want those journalists to have that job, I do. Um, and so uh, the, the fact that the engineers often understand that this is going to have a detrimental effect on the end user and potentially on the business is not something that has been able to pierce the conversation in a really high fidelity way. And so one of my hopes for Core Web Vitals is that by boiling it down to something that's digestible, um, that can be easily compared across sites, especially within a vertical, um, that can help people make informed decisions, but also lead them into a good series of conversations around what's actually going to improve the user experience rather than sort of just being a, a gameable metric that doesn't really affect the user experience. Um, to the extent that Core Web Vitals is both visible and actionable, I think that's going to create um, a better market for better tools. Um, and that includes from Google. Uh, you know, on my blog, I've got, um, you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier before we started talking here that um, uh, you work with Justin Ribeiro on, um, you know, some of these these performance analyses. And, uh, you know, he's got a great component, this light YouTube web component uh, that I'm using on my blog. And I sort of uh, made a small variant of that for Vimeo embeds because in both cases, um, the JavaScript that comes on the wire from the, the recommended style of embedding for these services is just too heavy, right? It just, it it doesn't pay for itself most of the time, unless the only thing your web page is doing is, is displaying this video. Um, you probably want to lazy load that or find some other sort of um, stand in. And so uh, to the extent that Core Vitals helps to create some of that pressure on all these actors, you know, again, including teams here at Google, uh, to lighten things up and increase the probability that users are going to have a good time. Um, I think that's that's success. I think that's going to be good for the ecosystem and, and help everyone succeed more often. Because it it shouldn't be the case that you know getting to the end of a tutorial to build a regular website and then doing the things that everyone says you have to do in order to make it you know perform and convert well um, should also tank your performance or end the user up at a bad time. Yeah, for sure. I. Um, was having like an amazing conversation with uh, Ben Schwartz from Caliber, and he was talking about yeah. the uh, thing he made for the, for his chat, right? Which you can find on the Caliber GitHub, where um, you know how many users are actually going to click on that chat to get help, right? Not a lot. So this little plugin that he made, uh, well, plugin I don't know what it is, but anyways, we're integrating it, <laughs> makes it so that you know the actual chat doesn't load until somebody actually clicks on it, which is 
amazing. And, you know, that, that kind of goes into like the, the, the YouTube and Vimeo kind of videos that you're talking about as well. Yeah, I think this gets to a larger point, which is that um, a lot of the JavaScript community gets themselves wrapped around the question of um, how much is too much? And I think that's the wrong question at some level. I mean, I can, I can try to answer it. <laughs> um, uh, and in most cases, I think I can get a pretty good answer that will correlate well with the user experience. Um, but it's really about whether or not the user's having a good time, right? Performance is just the, the underpinning of a good experience. It's not the whole thing. You still have to provide a good service on top of something. It's like that. perception. It's like, what does the user, user can experience? If the user thinks your site's fast, then it's fast. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the, these techniques that allow you to apply a little bit of sleight of hand, a facade uh, pattern in the case of that chat widget or these, um, these, these poster stand-ins for uh, video embeds, um, or delay loading or loading the heavy thing while you, you're at a login screen, all these sorts of techniques, um, their benefit from my perspective is that they amortize the cost of work you're going to do um, to moments where the user actually wants to do it and meets the user's expectations of how long every discrete interaction is going to take um, you know, more equitably. That is to say, um, you know, I think about like the two versions of Gmail that I could use. There's sort of a plain HTML version, which you may remember. And then there's the, um, there's the sort of full fat uh, version that I think most people are familiar with, which, is, which can be a little chunky. Um, and, and there's a lot of debate in the JavaScript community about like, well, my thing's actually an application, and so it's okay to spend a lot of time up front. I push back on that. Um, I think of this more in terms of the way game developers build their experiences. Um, you know, like their loading screens are 60 frames a second too. <laughs> like, you're not, you know, um, they're not like shirking the idea that having interacted with the icon to launch the thing should cause the computer to feel like it. it you know, hung. That's not what happens at all. The music starts playing and it doesn't jank and drop. Um, you know, the you know maybe there's a bunch of like intro screen stuff, but those things are 60 frames a second, right? So the sleight of hand is like, yes, you're going to load levels and you're going to do a bunch of work to like go make this all work. But at every moment in the middle, you're also going to be responsive to the user's um, interactions. And so that um, a friend a friend framed it to me as uh, uh, the uh, uh, you know, 16 milliseconds per frame uh, or your money back um, kind of guarantee, right? And so like, if that's not what we're striving for, if we're not striving to be instantly responsive to the interaction that the user took, then maybe we have the wrong priorities. And so there are real trade-offs you can make. So um, maybe it is potentially much slower to go all the way back to the server, you know, uh, deal with the slings and arrows of outrageous network fortune at every moment that I tap on any link inside of Gmail. And potentially it could take a long time to, you know, cobble all the HTML together and send it all back to me, have it like unload and then reload, and maybe it takes a bunch of state away. So that maybe that's a bad experience, right? But is it a bad, is it a worse experience, for instance, than waiting a very long time up front for something I'm only going to spend a couple of minutes in? So my mental model of this is amortize across all the interactions that I take. Um, what is the end and latency on any interaction? Where navigating to a page is an interaction, you know, tapping on a link inside of an SPA is also an interaction. If the interaction depth on a site is relatively low, then you actually can't afford much up front, right? There's nothing to amortize across, right? Your, your cost per click effectively is very high if you put a lot of JavaScript in the way or you, or you put a lot of heavy images and fonts in the way uh, to deliver a theoretically beautiful experience that people actually in reality don't spend a lot of time in. 
Um, and so getting a finer grained understanding of how it's really going for users is something that I hope that um, you know, Corbett Vitals is on, on the basis to help us do. And metrics like FID and then the total blocking time metric that's being iterated on now, um, give us a pretty good uh, you know, way into thinking about that, right? Like thinking about like the user interacts, you know, we should be getting out of their way, getting them to the next thing. We should be starting to do work on their behalf, telling them that we're doing the work on their behalf, giving them an update. It takes a little while and then eventually presenting the results. Um, and the more responsive we are uh, for each of those interactions, I think um, that indicates uh, maybe not the app being good, but certainly it like meeting that baseline expectation of it doing a decent job of trying to deliver uh, whether or not, um, you know, the, the, the business logic is actually responsive. Well, I think that, you know, what, when, when I hear you talk, right, like it sounds so easy. So, you know, make it sound like, well, yeah, duh, you know, like, of course. Right. But then I think, you know, when you get into it, right, like this is kind of like when I'm pairing with uh, one of my friends, Ben, I'm like, oh my God, our exchange animations, I got this, I can do it. You know? And then once I'm not pairing with Ben, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, <laughs> how did he even do that? But like, I, I think some of the things you're talking about, like I just uh, think about, you know, me and Justin were pairing on, um, we were like comparing Disney plus versus, versus like Disney, whatever. So we're comparing mm -hmm. both to see which one was more performant. And like one of the things uh, we realized was, you know, they have all these videos loading in a, um, in a carousel. Yeah. And they basically have all the all the videos loaded in that carousel, whereas <laughs> they could have just loaded like one or two or three or whatever. Yeah, having it screwed around the side and then like loading them dynamically as you scroll across. Yeah, exactly. And I think some of these things, right, are are kind of like what I'm starting to see in the you know let's say accessibility world as well, right? Let's like mm -hmm. okay, you know, as a developer, you kind of you know know now. Okay, you know, this is like the bare minimum of accessibility I can do, but then, you know, you're not going super deep. And I think with web performance, because some of the things you're talking about, I hope people are starting to realize these things, right? Like the carousel example is a very good example of just like, you know, you can look at a, a page and be like, well, why is my page not performant? But then kind of understanding as a developer, like, okay, well, you know what, here's the super easy things that you could do to make this more accessible or it's more performant. Um, you know, it's a good start. I, that's why I love Lighthouse too, right? Because I feel like Lighthouse literally just gives you like, it's almost like you could take all the recommendations from Lighthouse and just stick it into Jira. And like, that's your that's your next sprint, you know? Let's do it, yeah. It's, it's good. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> there, there was a time when we were, you know, manually generating those to-do lists for partners and emails and Lighthouse yeah. has helped. It certainly improved my life because I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so yeah. The team's done a great job. Yeah. Okay, so like basically Lighthouse is like taking, you know, whatever number of developers that was doing that at Google and like scaling yourselves out of it into a product. You know, <laughs> it's a very Googly answer, right? Phrase your answer in the form of a product, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So, um, you know, I know you, you know, you work on, I, I, I know you're saying like Corbett Battles, for example, is not, you know, like the main thing. I mean, it's not the thing you're actually working on at Google. So like, what is your team generally working on these days? Yeah, so um, I am uh, sort of uh, a tech lead on a thing called Project Fugu, which is a collaboration, uh, an open source collaboration um, that leads into a bunch of standards work between um, 
pretty much anyone in Chromium who will show up. And, and today that includes uh, uh, Google and Microsoft and Intel and Samsung and, and more folks are, are actually joining. I don't, I don't know how much I can say about that, but um, uh, those are people who um, are all kind of aligned on this vision that the web should be uh, you know, safe, obviously, um, and privacy preserving definitively, um, but also capable, right? That within those bounds, there is a, there's scope to do more to open up what computing can do um, and make the web a more relevant platform on the way. And so uh, this sort of plugs into the PWA work that I helped lead over the last, you know, since 2013 or so. Um, and uh, it, it sort of, if, if uh, PWAs are sort of a delivery vehicle, um, you know, what's inside the nose cone? Like what's what's the payload? Uh, and we hope that some of the things that we're delivering in Project Fugu are kind of that payload. So we've been really busy this year. Um, the local file system access API has been a top request from a bunch of key partners. Um, so uh, asking the question maybe uh, in terms of a product, um, why can't I build a code editor on the web that can edit local files? Or when I open a file, like a maybe a, a, a graphic or a document, um, uh, why can't a web app or a PWA handle that? Like, why can't it be the thing that you know receives that file when it's launched, uh, edits it, and saves it back? Um, so we built that out, um, and that's launched, uh, and that is transforming what people can do um, in ways that are just usually expressed by removing a bunch of friction, right? So instead of having to like upload a file and do some editing and then download it and then maybe move it in its place. You're just sort of doing the regular edit cycle again. Um, local fonts, uh, spending much time on trying to help people with that. Um, we've launched uh, Web OTP this year. So, you know, all of those banks and uh, sites that, that want you to do two-factor and they want to send you a six-digit thing you have to go dig out of your... Um, yeah. uh, that, that's an annoyance uh, here in the West uh, and in large parts of the world, that's the only authentication mechanism. And so what we launched this year was the ability for, uh, you know, certainly on Android now, um, uh, for there to be an API where developers can just have that be automated. So the user, you know, provides their phone number and then in the background, they, they do that SMS dance and then we present a confirmation of the user, they tap it and boom, they're, they're on. They didn't have to copy anything out of their, uh, their um, uh, SMS application or go remember six digits and then type them in later. Uh, especially that's meaningful when the system language actually may not be one that you're super familiar with, which happens a lot. Um, so removing those kinds of barriers to folks, um, you know, we're starting to see some of the work that this team did years ago now with things like um, game pads. Um, and uh, we're improving that with WebHID now. Uh, so streaming gaming is having a bit of a moment for PWAs because we added, in addition to all the great work that the media and codex teams and networking teams have done over the years to go improve um, their stacks to be high performance and low latency, uh, we were also delivering the sort of the little bits of capability around the edge that let you join things up to be a streaming games platform uh, that you can then install to your desktop. So our, in Project Fugu, we're kind of like, um, we're, we're a bit of a do everything group, but we are filling in the, the bits that fundamentally enable um, new use cases. And so um, I can so it's like So like anybody can join Project Figure or do you have to be part of like a, you know, a browser team or? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, 
Well, I mean, so I should say that we are looking for feedback against all the APIs that we've got in development. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's straightforward to get involved. If you go to uh, web.dev and search for Fuku, there's a Fuku API tracker. Um, and many of these APIs are either just launched or in origin trials now. And if you haven't used origin trials, they're great um, because they give you a chance to try things on live sites early. Um, and uh, those are a moment where they can still change. And we're really looking for feedback so that we can understand whether or not we have solved an important problem and solved it well. Um, and so uh, sign up for the origin trials of the stuff we've currently, we've currently got launched. Um, but, uh, the, uh, the Project Fugu um, uh, effort is uh, a, a open, Chromium collaboration. So anybody who's working inside of the Chromium organization, you know, organization can uh, come join our public meetings and come join our mailing list and all that sort of stuff. You can sign up if you really want all the, the drilled in details. Uh, but uh, if you go to web.dev and sign up for updates, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that's in our uh, capabilities area um, will give you some sense for what we're working on. That's amazing. Wow, it's like. Oh, the web moves so fast. I mean, it's definitely keeps things totally interesting. And it's funny because I feel like in the uh, in the JavaScript framework space, right? People are a little bit bored <laughs> these days. Like everybody's focusing on optimization more than like, oh, hey, here's another way to manage state, you know, or, you know, whatever new magical thing that we came up with a few years ago. But um you know, and, and and I think also with, you know, this year being a little bit different for everybody, uh, things have just been a little bit quieter. Mm -hmm. so people haven't been like, I'm bored. What can I get excited about? But like, you know, joining things like, um, you know, being able to to track along with Project Fugu and even being able to play with these new APIs, like sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, the, the fact that we're able to deliver some of these things um, that are just like these little, they seem small, they seem little, but they yeah. fundamentally enable a whole end-to-end -end case has been, yes. we've seen a bunch of that landing this year. So um, there's an app that I now use all the time called Visor, uh, mm -hmm. which previously was a native app, uh, mm -hmm. but now it can be a desktop PWA. Uh, that overweb USB allows me to do a bunch of remote driving of the Android devices that I've got littered around my desk. Mm -hmm. um, because I, you know, I'm, I'm swapping back and forth between these sort of low-end Android phones all the time. and um, you know, Visor lets me do that. So being able to have the Web Codex stuff come online so that we can do low latency, high quality, hardware accelerated video decode and encode, um, Web USB, you know, continuing to deliver, like the Android Flash Station, the, the Flash app that lets you get the latest version of Android on, you know, the pre-release versions on your phone is using Web USB. Uh, these sorts of things all um, seem like they don't matter until someone goes, wait a minute, I would have had to build a native app for that, but I don't have to anymore. And then you don't have to like sit there and install a bunch of extra software. So like uh, an API that I've been working on uh, with uh, with some folks uh, recently, helping them get it done is uh, unadjusted pointer lock, which sounds really boring. Um, but you know, streaming games are happening now, and uh, apps like GeForce Now and uh, Stadia, um, they've got a lot of first-person shooters in their libraries, and uh, it has been the case that the web could be really great at delivering those at high frame rates over good connections, except for the fact that we like our mouse precision wasn't very good. So what if we just add this little flag 
this existing API that lets you get the highest precision mouse um, coordinates that, that we could possibly deliver. Um, so those are the sorts of things that keep us busy. And um, I'm really excited to see folks digging into kind of this back catalog that we've been laying down of new stuff, right? Like, uh, I mean, just the local file system API, I think just really unlocks a lot, like a lot for web developers. And I mean, I, I can't, you know, I mean, serial over USB is something that we're seeing uh, get a ton of use in education. People are being able to program their their microcontrollers and do educational programming of little, I don't want to call them toys, but like little tiny computers on a board, right? There are Arduinos and, and such um, mm -hmm. over, over serial. Uh, that means that you don't have to sit there and like wait for a piece of software whose provenance is a little bit unknown to download. You can just share it around. You can share your code around. These kinds of things, when they move to the web, again, this little addition around the edge, this thing that's adjacent to a bunch of stuff that was already there and was already good, <laughs> by connecting those adjacent things together and adding them into the web, I think we we really have the opportunity to, to build something that removes pain from people's lives. And so I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Well, we can hear it in your voice, how passionate you are. <laughs> that is super amazing. I mean, I can't wait to uh, hang out soon and, and, and do this like speed at scale thing. Um, yeah, I love that. You know, show and I, I think again, just you know, for for all those visual people out there, just like figuring out how. And, yeah, you know, I would love to do that, especially if someone has a website that they love to see traced. I'd love to go through it with them. Yes, I'm sure we can find one. I, I'm always um, preferably their own website. Um, <laughs> there's lots of there's lots of websites on the internet to choose from, and I don't want to like shame anyone. But if someone wants constructive feedback, I'm happy to do that publicly. <laughs> yeah. I still remember like three, four years ago, Sam Sicconi was like, Tracy, can I profile your site like at IO? And I was like, profile? That means feature, right? Yeah, totally. Of course, right? <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I just want to check, like, you know, check before I do that because most people might not be okay with it. I'm totally fine with it. Whatever. It was a podcast site, right? But like, you know, I had basically like all these, um, all these iframes, like 30 iframes you know, on one page. And he was like, well, this is a good example of like, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. So I still remember that uh, to this day. So yeah, I, well, we'll find somebody who um, agrees to let us do it or, or something like that. But yeah, I, I remember profiling a site uh, a few days ago and it's, it's a beauty purchasing yeah. site, right? And I was, you know, I, I switched things to like Moto G4 and uh, switched my network to 3G and all, you know, all those other things, throttled my CPU. And uh, they came out with a performance score of six. Yep. And I was like, dang, guys, like, oh. And, and this is where Chrome Vitals is so important because yeah. you can then go looking for Vitals to find out whether or not, I mean, it could be the case. Like uh -huh. I would expect the developer to come back to us and say, well, you know, most of our users aren't fast number percent on our iPhones. Now, yeah, yeah. that is just a statement that may be true. That may not be an aspirational statement from the perspective of the business. They might definitely want the marginal user who's being locked out of buying things from their website because it's too mm -hmm. slow, right? <laughs> like, so like, let's put that to the side for the moment, though. We can actually go into something like um, PageSpeed Insights right now and use the data that's coming out of Corbo, the Corbo Vital Sable that's coming out of um, the Chrome user experience report to see how it's actually going in the real world for those users and get a sense for whether or not this is actually a crisis. Because I think we could imagine that it is and we could look at it and go, oh, hoo, hoo. Um, 
But if it's actually a problem and it's as bad as you say, you know, we can actually go make the case now in a more informed way and say, look, even your real users are reporting back to us in a way that we can see and, and like, you know, we can have confidence in yes. that's really working out for them either. So, yeah. and that's the beginning of, I think, a, I hope a much more meaningful conversation. Well, you know, I mean, you, you bring up a really good point as well, kind of talking about, you know, you know, like um, business just needing to add this, little analytics tracker because oh my gosh if you don't it's going to lose you a hundred thousand dollars or whatever but like the thing about web performance is there's nobody saying hey by the way if you have a score of less than six that means you're going to lose a hundred thousand dollars like it's it's typically been up to like the developers right to say that and build that story so i think selling to management like developers selling the use case to management as well of hey this is why performance matters um, is sort of lost because you don't have like, you know, a product company behind it going, you will die if you don't buy our software and track it. <laughs> yeah, I also hope that this this frees developers up to be able to make better decisions for themselves too. Um, it, it is often the case that people are making inappropriate decisions because the things that are popular are not the things that are appropriate for everybody. And while they may be extraordinarily you know, productive and appropriate in some situations, they may not be the right things for the situation that you are in as you're building an e-commerce website or something that's like, you know, uh, more work a day than, I don't know, social network. So, um, so, so being able to see those choices in context and understand what's good and bad, I, I hope also has a clarifying uh, function for a lot of the ecosystem. Because as you say, if we're bored, maybe that's because we we haven't valued the right problem. And maybe maybe there's work to do that we just don't see clearly right now that we should be doing it. We should be focusing on. So yes, I mean, seriously, like, in me talking to so many performance people over the past, like, let's say two weeks or so, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, there was so much that we could be playing around with right now. So yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate it. So, well, thank you so much. Again, you can follow Alex on Twitter at slightly late or check out his website. Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name now. Infrequently.org. Infrequently.org, yes. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Modern World Podcast. podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Let's go, cause we got a show for you.